The House of Representatives goes 0-2 on impeachment charges, so we'll talk a bit about what happened there and what led up to that. In other news, Washington, D.C. remains to be locked down and could go down till the fall. But, you know, that's not what dictators do by any means or any stretch of the imagination. Biden gets a 62% approval rating and almost instantly someone is found and charged for attempting to kill Biden. And Kamala Harris gets called out for saying that we have to start over from scratch on the vaccine rollout. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. We've got a bunch of stuff to get to today, including the fact that the whole thing that impeachment was going to be, and we looked at this and we thought this was going to drag out now for weeks and weeks and weeks, came to a very, very quick head on Saturday when the vote came in and the acquittal was there. I'm not even sure what happened off of this because I took a little bit of a media break over the weekend after we got done with the the little uh, Ask Me Anything segment that we did on uh, Saturday, I just said, you know what, I can't do the news anymore for a little while. So I went off, I took a drive, and now we're sitting back behind the eight ball for the Red Net show and a little bit behind on Contemporary just because we had to get there. But I had to get out. I had to take a break from the media. So we'll see what all happened here, and I'll be learning this for the first time with the rest of you guys. But before we get into any of this, head on over to freedomscoop.com. Put a bookmark there. We are building a brand new website for you guys. We're getting some bios in. Looks like everybody's getting started, getting ready to go. So we'll start pulling some stuff in. Also, uh, in the description of the YouTube and the DLive, you can also find a link to our Gilded server, which Nailbender, who you guys are familiar with, took a lot of time over the weekend and really started getting that set up. So we've got a community getting ready to go, and we're starting to get ready to get bodies into there, talking, ready to go, ready to talk. We've got the rules, I think, are going to be up there pretty soon. So it's going to be a good time, I think, you guys. And, you know, Discord is uh, kind of compromised at this point. I intend to keep the Discord there, but I kind of want to start migrating everybody back over to Gilded because, you know, that meme competition that we have going on in the Discord, someday... Some disaffected liberal is going to come by and look at that and say, Hey, who is this J. Edgar person? Let's go look in his Discord server. Oh no, I have to run and tattle to Discord's uh, mo uh, content moderators here because they're saying nasty stuff in Discord and the community be gone. So get a fresh start over on Gilded. We'll go over there and have a look and get things going. It looks like it's a lot more functional than Discord is and we don't seem to need robots for everything. So that'll be a fun one as well. So go on over there, check that out, but head on over to Freedom Scoop as well. Check out The Daily Ignoramus, The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, The R-Rated Conservative, The Freckles and Brit Show, and The Generational Gap, all of which also have gilded uh, groups within our server. We decided to go top-down and do a full Freedom Scoop gilded instead of just individual gilded servers for each show. And we've got a group down there. Check it out. It looks great. We've got a couple things to polish up a little bit, but I think it's ready to start pulling people in. And as always, bookmark Freedom Scoop so you can come on over there, pick up some of our swag, and help us support great creators. All right, looking at the Dow, 
First and foremost, the Dow is going to be closed today, as are all the markets. So what we're seeing here is from Friday. We'll go and uh, check that out. Uh, looks like it stayed down through most of the day with a couple of peaks up over the top. And then dropped back down to nothing. Looks like I've got to turn my gilded notifications off too. But uh, it stayed up through the most of the day, or stayed down through the most of the day, and then kind of swung back up at the end of the day. Now we'll be looking at this exact same chart tomorrow at the same time because it's President's Day, which means no markets are open. So we'll see what happens there. Bitcoin, on the other hand, is at 48,077.10 US dollars, which means it took a slight tip up over the weekend, which is good because they're going to print more fiat currency. They're going to make fiat currency much, much more worthless. And Bitcoin is, I guess, tethered against inflation. I don't know. I don't know enough about Bitcoin to know how they tether it against inflation. But hey, the more the US dollar becomes worthless, the more Bitcoin becomes worth. So we'll see what's happening there. All right. On IBD. Oh, well, now they want me to sign in. All right, well, we'll talk a bit about this tomorrow then instead. From Barron's, though, I do want to uh, take some time and have a look at what's going on and what people think is going to be happening up in the near future. So Barron's has an article here. The stock market keeps rising. The reasons to be hopeful are also the reasons to worry. Yes, you can have too much of a good thing, and the stock market is starting to consider what that might mean for future gains. You wouldn't be able to tell just from looking at the market last week. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, after all, rose 310.16 points, or 1%, to 31,458.40, while the S&P 500 advanced 1.2% to 39,34.83, and the NASDAQ Composite gained 1.7%. All three closed at record highs. What could be wrong with that? Not much, apparently. The chance to get a huge relief bill passed has risen so high that the market assumes it's a done deal. Disappointing economic data, like weaker-than-expected jobless claims, continue to be dismissed, and optimism about our ability to vaccinate the U.S. population and end the pandemic appears to be rising. But there is a sense of unease, a sense of, I'm sorry, a sense that something is not quite right. With the markets, you can see it in the continued influence of retail trading, which found a new old target in pot stocks helping to drive the shares of ETFMG Alternative Harvest Exchange Traded Fund, ticker MJ, up 42% through Wednesday and then down 26% through Friday's close. It's in the small cap Russell 2000, which gained 2.5% on the week to 2289.36 and has now outperformed the S&P 500 by 11 percentage points in 2021. And it's there in the 10-year Treasury yield, which closed last week at 1.199%, its highest since March of 2020. Do these things make sense? And if so, why do they, or what do they mean for the overall, overall market? Part of the problem is simply the known unknowns. For instance, no one is quite sure when the economy will reopen and what that will look like. We can assume there's pent-up demand that workers in restaurants, retail, and other service-oriented businesses will have jobs to go back to, and the people want to fly to vacation destinations once again. But we won't know for sure until it happens. My base case is that it works out well, says Drew Mattis, chief market strategist for MetLife Investment Management. It all boils down to the speed people feel comfortable re-engaging. There's also starting to be some concern that maybe... Just maybe there may be 
too much stimulus coming down the pike. Details of a possible $1.9 trillion package are still being worked out, but President Biden has already held a meeting with senators to discuss an infrastructure plan, which could add an additional trillion or more that has created concerns over higher taxes to pay for the plan. Oh, no, 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 taxes will never go up. Now, don't worry about taxes. Dow, no, 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 no. as well as even higher yields to reflect the possibility of stronger growth and what they would mean for a market that's already showing uh, signs of froth. The biggest concerns for stocks was higher taxes regulations followed by inflation higher taxes or higher rates rather through the duration and severity of the pandemic remained a significant focus. Evercore's ICI's Oscar Sloterbeck wrote about the firm survey of investors. For now, though, the steady gains in bond yields have been good for the market, according to Ned Davis research strategist Tim Hayes. He notes that the correlation between the yield on the Barclays Global Aggregate Bond Index and global stocks currently sits at 0.24. A correlation of one means two assets move in lockstep, and it's been fairly steady since the market stabilized after the coronavirus meltdown. If the correlation turns negative, which would mean that stocks and bonds move in opposite directions, it could be bad news for equities. If the correlation would return to inversion, it would tell us that the markets had started to view rising yields as a threat to economic growth and, in turn, corporate profits, Hayes wrote. For now, we'll continue to enjoy the gifts that keep on giving. Yeah, I, you know, we look at the fact that pot stocks are coming up here, as they mentioned up in the article, and the fact that small cap traders are still looking to try and wreck the market here. They got a taste of giving it back to the man and giving it back to the people who have been treading on them for their entire lives, and they want to. They want to give it back to them. They want to come back and tread on these people. And they don't care about the money. They're getting free money from the government, essentially. And it was, you know, it's being marketed to them as free uh, money. I talked to my tax accountant last year when we did the taxes, and I told her I cut that fucking stimulus check up because nothing comes out of the government without a hook attached to it. And she sat down and explained to me that that is actually just a, it's a loan against your tax refund for the next year is what the stimulus is. But since I always either get like 10 bucks back or pay in like 10 bucks every year, which is true, that's about how I do 10 bucks here, 10 bucks one way or the other. I actually have myself pretty well set on what my actual tax burden is and I get my taxes to come out and pretty well match that. Because I have such a small either return or pay in, they won't make your return go negative so for me, it would actually be free money. I said, I still said no. Nothing comes out of the government without a hook buried into it, and I can afford to cut that check up because I didn't stop working through the entire pandemic. Yes, $1,200, $600, $1,400, those would be very nice for me, and I could do things with those, but I look back and I say, okay, what's the catch? What is the government going to demand from me because I'm taking this money somewhere down the road? And it's going to come. Don't Mark my words, it's going to come at some point here. I don't trust the government far enough to take free money from them. But we've still got to come back. We've got to pay the $30 trillion in debt that we're going to be. Plus another, maybe we'll get to 31 with the infrastructure package. Yes, it'll be good and it'll get people going and working on government jobs once again, or government contracted jobs. But, you know, where does the money come from? As the movie that I've never seen says, show me the money, Lebowski. So... People are nervous, investors are nervous, and we don't know what's going to happen from this. All right, let's keep going here. 
Looks like I dropped a few frames here, so I wonder if I'm having network issues, but we'll see what happens with that. Uh, let's get into the big news of the of the weekend, I guess. Starting from the end and going back to the beginning. From ABC News, former President Donald Trump acquitted in second impeachment trial from Lauren Lantry. Exactly a month and a week after insurrectionists incited a riot at the Capitol on January 6th, former President Donald Trump's second impeachment trial came to a climactic end on Saturday afternoon, with Trump being acquitted for his alleged role of inciting the deadly event. A majority of senators voted to convict the former president, but failed to reach the supermajority threshold needed for a conviction. This has been yet another phase of the greatest witch hunt in the history of our country. No president has ever gone through anything like it, and it continues to be our opponents. Cannot forget the almost 75 million people, the highest number ever for a sitting president, who voted for us just a, sh a few short months ago, Trump said in a statement. Yeah, we'll read his... Uh, Full statement here, so I'm going to hold off on this one here. Drama ensued on the Senate floor Saturday morning when senators voted to hear from witnesses. However, after a roughly one-hour recess, the Senate determined no witnesses would be called and opted instead to admit into evidence written testimony from Jamie Herrera Butler of Washington. Then both the prosecution and defense presented their closing arguments. When the vote began, the Senate chamber fell silent as each senator's name was called. As required by Senate rules, each senator present had to pronounce Trump guilty or not guilty while they stood behind their individual desks. A group of 57 senators voted to convict Trump and 43 senators voted to acquit. So they flipped one person, which it seems like every vote that they've had on this, they flipped one more person because at first it was, okay, well, is this constitutional or not? 55-45. Then they had a second procedural vote. Can we vote to take up this case and go forward? 56 to 44. And now, is he guilty or not guilty? 57 to 43. And when we're looking at the names of people who were doing this, we've got the usual names. Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Ben Sass, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, Richard Burr of North Carolina, and Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania. You know, that defense attorney, Castor, he, he just couldn't butter up Pat Toomey enough. And Pat Toomey still had to vote to uh, convict. So, at this point, it's 0-2. I'm 0-2, okay? I, I have the greatest record. And by the way, on top of that, the House of Representatives is officially now 0-4 for convictions on sitting presidents and unsitting presidents. For convictions on presidents, the House of Representatives in history is 0-4. And yet, they're going to continue to do that. I see stuff on the Daily Wire. Oh, well, now that Lindsey Graham is saying that Kamala Harris is going to be the next one getting impeached. As soon as, as, soon as Republicans have control of the House, Kamala Harris is getting impeached. And we're going to get to see this all the time here. Well, if you impeach Kamala Harris, you're going to be a racist and a sexist because how dare you impeach the first female president. She's going to have, she's got the same armor that Barack Obama had. The reason that Paul Ryan wouldn't do it, in spite of the fact that there were mounting crimes under the Obama administration. Paul Ryan knew very full, full well that the GOP would not come back if the Republican Party threw an impeachment at the first black president. There would be no way that could ever happen again. <clears throat> So, that's what we see from this here. 
Uh, let's look at a little bit of history of this. First, I want to read the statement from the Donald. Uh, Michael DeLazon shares this out on Twitter. Breaking 45th president releases statement on Senate acquittal. Our movement to make America great again has only begun. From the office of the former president. I'm going to kind of zoom in on this a little bit here because, you know, the eyes aren't that good anymore. I want to first thank my team of dedicated lawyers and others for their... Okay, I can't actually read that. I guess we'll have to find a zoomed-in version of this one here because, yeah, I can't do that one. That one's too tiny for my uh, older eyes, and I've been myopic my entire life anyway, so, yeah, we can't do that one. But, yes, he put a statement out right away to come out and say it. Let's back up here and talk about the hearing of witnesses, though, from the Hill. Senate votes to hear witnesses in Trump trial from Mike Lillis. The Senate voted Saturday to allow witnesses in former President Trump's second impeachment trial, a stunning development that could extend the proceedings. House Democrats prosecuting the case called for a single immediate witness to testify, Representative Jamie Herrera Butler of Washington, who was hammered by Trump for his actions after the Capitol attack on January 6th. The move came after the nine impeachment managers had spent the previous two days meticulously detailing their allegations against Trump and appeared ready to rest the case, setting up a potential Saturday vote on Trump's fate in the Senate. But news reports emerging Friday night raised new questions about precisely when Trump knew the Capitol breach had occurred and whether he knew that his own vice president, Mike Pence, was being targeted by the mob. Needless to say, this is an additional critical piece of corroborating evidence, further confirming the charges before you, as well as the president's willful dereliction of duty. Lead impeachment manager Jamie Hatt, uh, Raskin said, For that reason, and because this is the proper time to do so under the Senate impeachment rules, we would like the opportunity to subpoena Congresswoman Herrera but uh, Butler regarding her communications with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and to subpoena her contemporaneous notes. Raskin said that the opposition could happen remotely by Zoom and that Democrats would request an hour or less of her time. The idea was immediately rejected by Michael Van Der Veen, one of Trump's defense attorneys, who said he'd need more than 100 new witnesses to thoroughly investigate the circumstances in question thoroughly. He called on senators to reject the call for new evidence, accusing Democrats of trampling on Trump's right to due process. The single article of impeachment, he added, is for incitement of insurrection and therefore the Senate jurors should ignore anything Trump did after the attack as immaterial to the case, which is absolutely true. They should. That's The charge was for essentially the speech that he gave, and they were trying to move the goalposts on as well. He was inciting this for months before this. He said even before the election that if it went anywhere other than his way, then of course, then you need to come back and just go and riot, and this is our time, and it's our time, and this, and... That was what the... That's what it was, but, you know, it's one of those things where they're going to come back, and now they're going to try to move the goalpost. And, you know, I predicted that this could possibly have happened. I was wondering, as they were drawing down to the close of this, if we were going to get to the point where we were going to start looking at Okay, who's going to be the Christine Blasey Ford of this trial? Who's going to come forward to try and extend this out here, to try and make sure that this stays in the headlines, that the news media continues to cover this? 
And even now, we're looking at other things of what is the news media going to do next and how is it going to say Trump on it? Because it definitely looks like the news media is going to try and keep the focus squarely on Donald Trump forever. So the vote was in. And of course, as we know now, because this came out right before the uh, the vote, that yes, they called for more witnesses and they still had the vote on Saturday. And the acquittal happened. Let's read from CNN for just a second. New details about Trump-McCarthy shouting match show Trump refused to call off the rioters. From Jamie Gangel, Kevin Liptak, Michael Warren, and Marshall Cohen. In an expletive-laced phone call with House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy, while the U.S. Capitol was under attack, then-President Donald Trump said the rioters cared more about the election results than McCarthy did. Well, Kevin, I guess these people are more upset about the election than you are. Trump said, according to lawmakers who were briefed on the call afterwards by McCarthy. McCarthy insisted that the rioters were Trump's supporters and begged Trump to call them off. Trump's comments set off uh, what Republican lawmakers familiar with the call described as a shouting match between the two men. A furious McCarthy told then-president that the rioters were breaking into his office through the windows and asked Trump, Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? According to a Republican lawmaker familiar with the call. Unnamed, of course. The newly revealed details of the call, described to CNN by multiple Republicans briefed on it, provide critical insight to the president's state of mind as rioters were overrunning the Capitol. The existence of the call and some of its details were first reported by Punchbowl News and discussed publicly by McCarthy. The Republican members of Congress said the exchange showed Trump had no intention of calling off the rioters, even as lawmakers were pleading with him to intervene. Several said it amounted to dereliction of his presidential duty. He's not a blameless observer. He was rooting for them, a Republican member of Congress said. On January 13th, Kevin McCarthy said on the floor of the House that the president bears responsibility, and he does. Speaking to the president from inside the besieged Capitol, McCarthy pressed Trump to call off his supporters and engaged in a heated disagreement about who compromised the crowd. Trump's comment about the would-be insurrectionists, caring more about the election results than McCarthy did, was first mentioned by Representative Jamie Raskin. I'm sorry, Jamie Herrera-Butler, a Republican from Washington State, in a town hall earlier this week and was confirmed to CNN by Herrera-Butler and other Republicans briefed on the conversation. You have to look at what he did during the insurrection. It was not an insurrection, people to confirm where his mind was at. Herrera Butler, one of 10 House Republicans who voted last month to impeach Trump, told CNN, That line right there demonstrates to me that either he didn't care, which is impeachable, it's not, because you cannot allow an attack on your soil, or he wanted it to happen and was okay with it, which makes me so angry. That second part might actually be impeachable. We should never stand for that, for any reason, under any party flag, she added, voicing her extreme frustration. I'm trying really hard not to say the F word. Well, say it. Say the fucking F word. You can fucking say the F word. I can say it. Gosh, I hope my nephews and nieces aren't watching this. So, that's where we have off of this. Um, it, I mean, in reality, yes, they're going back after this, but what... I've got to ask, honestly, what do you think could have happened? By the time they stormed, 
let's sit back and say that Trump is absolutely, first off, absolutely responsible for this. Let's do that thought experiment for a second. Because we saw what was happening. We watched it live streamed, especially those of you from the Freedom Scoop Media Group most likely saw the stream from the cell phone of one Stephen R. Ignoramus, Esquire, the second, number two. We saw what happened there. And where did he think he could have done this? Do you think that he could have just come up from Marine One down on a helicopter coming out and saying, Okay, everyone, the party's over. We made our point. Let's get off. Do you think these people would have stopped at that point? No. They had the mob mentality. They were out for blood at that point by the time they were going in. No matter who incited it at that point. They wanted to be in the uh, house chamber. They wanted to steal the podium. They wanted to wear buffalo horns on the house floor. And here we sit. By the time the windows were being broken, there was nothing that could have called that off. And the Capitol Police did what they could and got everybody ushered back out in a mostly peaceful uh, fashion, by the way. I know that uh, the evidence and the existence of the Stephen Ingramus live stream, which was stripped from YouTube almost immediately, will show. I mean, you'll look at this and you'll see almost immediately that, yes, the people were standing in, the, in the house, uh, they weren't in the chamber. Well, they were in the chamber, but the people were just kind of standing in the lobby, milling with each other and, you know, hey, how's it going? Hey, hi, I'm Clyde. Hey, I'm Larry. That kind of thing. And when the police started pushing people back out, then, you know, they just started to slowly file back out. It wasn't a violent riot. But by the time they were in there, they were all focused. They were all one mind. So, I don't know what it could have been other than, yeah, coming down on Marine One with a rope ladder and a megaphone. Hey, okay, we proved that I'm the greatest president ever. Okay, let's let's all call it off. Okay, bring him back out. So, I don't, I don't know what they expected to happen from this. Let's keep going. I got one here from The Blaze. Liberal Hollywood celebrities suffer complete meltdowns after Trump's acquittal. Deem Republicans as traitors. They've been doing that for 30 fucking years. They've been doing that since their own Ronald Reagan came up into the office uh, as a Republican. That's nothing new. From Paul Saka. The Senate voted to acquit former President Donald Trump on a large, or I'm sorry, on a charge of incitement of insurrection for the Capitol riot. On January 6th, liberal Hollywood celebrities suffered complete meltdowns after the results of the impeachment trial. All of the Democratic senators and seven Republicans voted to convict Trump, resulting in a 57 to 43 vote, 10 short of the 67 votes needed to secure a conviction against Trump. The hashtag 43Traders trended on Twitter after Trump's acquittal, which was full of rage towards the 43 Republicans who voted to acquit the former president. In the U.S., traitors who are convicted of treason are subject to suffer death or shall be imprisoned not less than five years. Twitter reactions by several left-wing celebrities labeled the 43 Republican lawmakers who voted to acquit as traitors. Frozen actor Josh Gad 
Quote tweeted the list of traders for election in 22. This, this, this. Democratic advocate Deborah Messing also shared a list of Republicans to vote out in 2022. Keep this list. We have work to do. Content warning. Explicit language. Oh no. We can't have explicit language on contemporary. Fuck that. Senate Republicans. Well, that was a waste of time. Let's get back to work. And Rosie O'Donnell. Well, fuck you all, traitors, cult members, reality deniers. You have no shame. You tossed your legacy in with this. The nation will not forget your betrayal. He tried to kill Mike Pence, for God's sake. What will it take, damn it? O'Donnell also directed her venom towards Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Spare us, Mitch. You voted not guilty, so shut the French toast. Comedians Wanda Sykes and Jim Gaffigan and actor Jeffrey Wright also spewed contempt towards McConnell. Ron Perlman. War. War never changes. That Ron Perlman. Spouted vitriol towards the former president. Yo. Donnie, you're about to be acquitted, but just like you got your ass kicked out of office by the American people, you will always be just a stain, forever, because we see you, you piece of shit, and war, war never changes. <clears throat> Bet Midler went on an unhinged Twitter outburst, he got away with murder, let that sink in. Who, who was murdered? You know, they keep trying to talk about this Capitol Police officer who, for the first time in forever, they love the Capitol Police again. But now it's coming out that the dude wasn't even murdered. Like, he didn't die from getting bashed in the head by a fire extinguisher. There was an, another health complication. Whether or not being in the vicinity of the world's worst insurrection... Had anything to do with it? We don't know, but uh, yeah, that's what uh, that's what they're doing here. Uh, these people, these people. All right, let's keep going. From CNN. Oh, this is a video. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said there was no question that former President Donald Trump was practically and morally responsible for provoking the January 6th U.S. Capitol insurrection, despite the Senate voting to acquit Trump for inciting the riot. Um, let's see how long this is. Give that just a second to reload back up. I didn't realize this one was just a video. There's no question. None. If President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. The people who stormed this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. And having that belief was a foreseeable consequence of the growing crescendo of false statements, conspiracy theories, and...
by our now president. No question about it. The people who stormed this building Sorry about the no sound. I turned my microphone off to type and uh, hit the wrong slider because they're reversed for whatever reason. So let's keep listening here. I believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president. And having that belief was a foreseeable consequence of the growing crescendo of false statements conspiracy theories, and reckless hyperbole, which the defeated president kept shouting into the largest megaphone on planet Earth. The issue is not only the president's intemperate language on January 6th. It is not just his endorsement of remarks in which an associate urged, quote, Trial by combat. It was also the entire manufactured atmosphere of looming catastrophe, the increasingly wild myths, myths about a reverse landslide election that was somehow being stolen, some secret coup by our now president. Now, I defended the president's right to bring any complaints to our legal system. The legal system spoke. The Electoral College spoke. As I stood up and said clearly at that time, the election was settled. It was over. But that just really opened a new chapter of even wilder, wilder, and more unfounded claims. The leader of the free world cannot spend weeks thundering that shadowy forces are stealing our country and then feign surprise when people believe him and do reckless things. Now, sadly, many politicians sometimes make overheated comments or use metaphors. We saw that, that unhinged listeners might take literally, but that was different. That's different from what we saw. This was an intensifying crescendo of conspiracy theories orchestrated by an outgoing president who seemed determined to either overturn the voters' decision or else torch our institutions on the way out. The unconscionable behavior did not end when the violence actually began. Whatever our ex-president claims he thought might happen that day, whatever reaction he says he meant to produce by that afternoon, we know he was watching the same live television as the rest of us. A mob was assaulting the Capitol in his name. These criminals were carrying his 
banners, hanging his flags, and screaming their loyalty to him. It was obvious that only President Trump could end this. He was the only one who could. All right, and that was the full. I didn't almost uh, actually intend to go with the full thing of that one, but we, we had we to sit back and go away, go away, Raskin. Nobody likes you. Um, yeah, to sit back and listen to that whole thing. Now, Lindsey Graham kind of fired back on this, but honestly, even with McConnell coming out to do this, I've said right from the beginning, this was not an impeachable offense at that point. At the point they were at, and they kept trying to say, well, if we don't have impeachment for somebody who does something at the end, then they'll have a January exception. They can do whatever they want, and they can do it with impunity. No, that's not true. And the essence of McConnell's speech here was, you know, kind of what I've been saying. If there is a crime here, then let's take it to a grand jury. Let's take it to that instead. I want to see what Graham has to say, and then we'll talk just a bit more about that. Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham. McConnell put a load on Republicans' back with anti-Trump speech. From Ron Blitzer over at Fox News. Senator Lindsey Graham called out Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell for speaking out against former President Donald Trump after voting to acquit Trump at his impeachment trial. Despite the voting in Trump's favor, McConnell blamed the former president for the January 6th Capitol riot. Graham warned on Fox News Sunday that this will be used at, uh, against Republicans as they try to retake control of Congress in 2022. Well, a spoiler alert, that was already going to be the case. That's what this impeachment was. It was a wave, and I mean, we saw it with the unhinged uh, Hollywood celebrities. Now they're looking out to try and get the campaign ads out because, oh, these senators are evil. We just, we need to make sure that we're doing this and we're going to use these against them. We're going to use, hey, they didn't vote to convict Trump, the evil orange man who's both evil and orange and orange and evil. Then we, we've got to get rid of him. I think Senator McConnell's speech, he got a load off his chest, but obviously, but unfortunately, he put a load on the back of Republicans, Graham said. That speech you will see in 2022 campaigns. Graham said the GOP candidates running in states like Arizona and Georgia that could be key in Republican efforts to take back the Senate will be asked about McConnell's speech. Likewise, he said incumbent candidates will be asked about whether they will support McConnell in the future. Dude, nobody supports McConnell. People supported McConnell this time through because he came out up until Election Day and said, Well, I'm dedicated to the Trump agenda, and that's what we're going to do is the Trump agenda for everything, and I want you to vote for Trump, and I want you to vote for me so I can take his agenda out. And, as I said, as soon as the election was over, Well, thank you for your vote, but now I'm going to work everywhere tirelessly to make sure that the election is secured and Trump is out of office. And we can maybe even take him to trial. McConnell said on Saturday that Trump uh, committed a disgraceful dereliction of duty by his actions prior to the deadly riot and was practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. 
Graham said that while Trump had pushed narratives about the election that I think are not sound and not true, he does not believe the former president's words incited the riot. Looking at the party as a whole, Graham said McConnell's speech is an outlier when it comes to GOP feelings about Trump's second impeachment. Graham said that he has spoken to Trump since the trial, and while the former president is upset with some members of the party, he is, I'm excited about 2022, okay? Looking to help rebuild the Republican Party in next year's midterm elections. So let's just talk a bit about uh, the Turtle Man speech there for a second and what he had to say about that and, you know, where I was going with the criminal trial. Because, no, there's not a January exception to criminal to criminality. The impeachment is... Impeachment is a way to get an elected official out of office because if you try to put a criminal charge against the president, having the DOJ look into this, people who report to the, the DOJ look into it, that would be a conflict of interest. It's the same way that if you try to impeach a senator or a representative, having the people who make the laws be tried under those laws, that would be a conflict of interest. So the purpose of impeachment is to have a methodology for removing the person from office if they believe he's committed a crime so that he can go and sit in front of an impaneled grand jury and answer in the private citizen criminal justice system. Trump is already out of office. So why they can't take this if they actually believe he did it. And it, you know, it seems like McConnell believes that Trump is guilty of trying to incite an insurrection and sit this in front of a grand jury and panel a grand jury, sit him down in front of that and try and indict him the way that you and I would be indicted because he is a private citizen right now. There is no need to try and remove him from office to get him to sit in front of a civilian court because he's already out of office. So throw the charge up there, throw it down to, I don't know who would do that, D.C. Circuit Court, and say, hey, this guy incited an insurrection. Let's, uh, let's throw a charge and see what the grand jury has to say. But I feel like, and, you know, looking at the fact that they had to go back and impeach one more time, that they know full well that they can't get anything to stick in front of a goddamn grand jury. So they had to do it and make a showboat and make campaign ads in front of a body that they control. At least halfway. This had nothing to do with criminality. And if it did, I challenge you fuckers to bring it in front of a civilian court. I challenge you. Bring it in front of a civilian court. So, we'll see what's happening from that. Let's keep going. I got one from the Daily Wire. In this uncivil war! Biden issued a statement in response to Trump acquittal, says substance of the charge undisputed, from John Brown. President Joe Biden issued a statement in response to former President Donald Trump's acquittal Saturday by claiming that the substance of the charge against him is not in dispute. Describing recent turmoil as a sad chapter in our history that has reminded us that democracy is fragile. Biden admonished Americans to be ever vigilant against violent extremism that would threaten their institutions. Let's have a look and see what this looks like. See if I can read this one. Statement by President Joe Biden on the Senate vote of the trial of Donald Trump. 
It was nearly two weeks ago that Jill and I paid our respects to Officer Cornpop. Wait, that's not his name. Brian Sicknick, who laid an honor in the rotunda because he's the police officer that we do like because we can use him for political purposes. After losing his life protecting the Capitol from a riotous, violent mob on January 6th. Today, 57 senators, including a record seven Republicans, voted to find former President Trump guilty of inciting that deadly insurrection, world's worst insurrection, at our very democracy. The Senate vote followed the bipartisan vote to impeach him by the House of Representatives. While the final vote did not lead to a conviction, the substance of the charge is not in dispute. Even those opposed the conviction, like Minority Leader, what was his name? The guy with a funny-looking gullet, oh, McConnell, believe Donald Trump is guilty of a disgraceful dereliction of duty and practically and morally responsible for provoking the violence unleashed on the kid. There's no way he wrote this. There's no way in God's screen earth that he wrote this. I... But, apparently, yeah, they think that he wrote this. And like I said, if you think that you have it, take it in front of a grand jury. Take it to court. If you got it, I'll listen. I will sit down with popcorn and watch the full trial as it goes in front of a grand... Well, no, grand jury would be secret, so... But after it gets out of the grand jury, as the defense ramps up, I will sit down and watch the court TV that this would be. And as they call him out to testify, subpoena him to testify, just to see what he would say, too, because he is kind of his own worst enemy. But as far as the grand jury, like I said, I don't think they have anything that they can get to stick in front of a grand jury. But you know what? They're going to keep going after this because they got to keep the guy in the headlines. And I do have to wonder what the next headline's going to be that says Trump all over it. Let's keep going. Um, i got a couple tweets here talking about the situation in D.C. First from Amiri King. Over 20,000 National Guard troops are still in D.C. Imagine how effective these men and women would have been at protecting our cities from BLM and Antifa all of 2020. I know many businesses, uh, business owners rather, would have been grateful. U.S. politicians cared now that it's on their doorstep. And what if I'm a cat? Tweets back, I thought fences and guns aren't effective. You don't think they lied to us. All right. And another one here from Rahim Kassam. Steal an election? Check. Militarize the Capitol? Check. Persecute opposition? Check. Seize civilian arms? Check. Biden and Harris are running the playbook of every modern dictator, and must and most people rather are too blind to see it. So, and you've got the headlines here. I didn't pull this one up, but I did see it through the day, but I have this one up right here. National Guard could stay in D.C. until the fall, sources uh, revealed to Fox 5. And on Parkland anniversary, President Biden calls for tougher gun laws. So let's see what the one is on D.C. from Fox 5. National Guard could stay in D.C. until the fall, source reveals to Fox 5. From Sierra Fox. An internal email obtained by Fox 5 reveals members of the National Guard might still be in D.C. through the fall of 2021. The National Security Council is asking the Department of Defense to engage Capitol Police on planning for post-March 12 support, according to e the email. 
There is a scheduled meeting for agencies to discuss on Wednesday, February 17th. Robert Salasas, who began performing the duties of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Homeland uh, Defense and Global Security on January 20th, wrote in the email, if it's not possible to sustain at the current level with National Guard personnel, we need to establish the number of National Guard personnel, DCNG, and out-of-state we can sustain for an extended period, at least through fall of 2021, and understand additional options for protect, uh, providing DOD support to include use of reserve personnel as well as an active component. Also, no timeline on when the U.S. Capitol fence will come down. On Thursday night during a virtual town hall, Delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton was asked by D.C. residents how long the National Guard will stay in D.C. and how long fencing will stay put, but no straight answers were given from the speakers. Fox 5 reached out to D.C. National Guard for further comment and received the following statement. The National Guard is conducting prudent planning for the eventual end of the security mission and the return of its soldiers and airmen to their home stations. Please do not ask us any more questions. We are waiting to hear back from the Capitol Police on how much longer they will need the extra support from troops in the nation's capital. Well, let's see. Uh, next election cycle is in 2024, in which Kamala Harris will be installed, not elected, to take until 2028 and then 2032. So I'm going to go on a limb and say uh, probably between now and forever. So, there they are. Your military compound for your nation's capital. Good job! From CNBC, Biden gets 62% approval in CNBC economic survey, topping first ratings of the last four presidents. From Steve Leisman. President Biden is on the best presidential honeymoon since at least Bill Clinton in 1993. There's so many jokes there. there. There's so much stuff there, especially with Bill the fucking rapist. Ah. Uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of them are going to be too far for Wojcicki. A special online edition of the CNBC All-America Economic Survey focusing on the Biden agenda finds his approval rating at a sky-high 62%, beating the first presidential ratings of President Barack Obama, George W. Bush, War pig, war pig, Bill Clinton, war pig, and Donald Trump. In fact, Biden's initial rating is 18 points higher than Trump's. The survey of 1,000 people conducted earlier this month sees Biden with majority approval for his handling of the economic, uh, sorry, of the economy, and for uniting the country, 65% of the public approve of his actions so far when it comes to fighting the coronavirus pandemic. Well, if you believe the numbers, then uh, he hasn't fought the pandemic. In fact, more people have died under his watch when adjusted for timeline than have under Trump. But I don't believe any of the numbers, so there's that. Plus, I mean, fixing the economy. He threw a bunch of money at people who realized that they could go and pump up a worthless stock and fuck over hedge fund managers. How is that a good handling of the economy? They can't even figure out what to do with the stimulus. And as far as uniting the country, the Hollywood sycophants who came out and made songs like 
happiness is a thing called Joe, are out there screaming for the blood of people like you and me. How is that unified? Are we in a fucking clown world here? What the fuck? But of course, it's a single poll. It's selectively edited. I haven't even looked at the RCP to see what his uh, aggregate approval is. Mostly because he hasn't done a goddamn thing. And I know it's all going to be narrative and bullshit anyway. So. But, hey, there you go. He's got 62% approval. Enjoy that. All right. I got a tweet here from Phoenix Ammunition that I just thought you guys would uh, find entertaining. It was dropped in the Discord for me, which the Discord and the Gilded, they're all linked in the description. Come back and uh, hang out with us. We've had a few potential customers call this morning to ask why they have to have a check, uh, have to check a box stating they did not vote for Joe Biden in order to purchase our ammunition. First question, are we serious? Yes, we are serious. Joe Biden ran on a campaign built on the most radical gun control platform a major party candidate has ever had, including banning the online sale of ammunition, essentially a plan to bankrupt our company. Second question, couldn't I have voted for him for other reasons? Well, sure, that's possible. But if you did, you should immediately sell any firearms you own out of solidarity. Third question, are you really willing to walk away from a paying customer simply because they voted for Joe Biden? Yes. Yes, we are. We're dead serious. We don't want your money. You shouldn't want us to have it because we're going to use it to make more ammo. Sell it to the citizenry and do everything in our power to prevent Joe Biden's administration from usurping the rights of Americans. We have no problem talking to Biden voters, educating them on what they did, but they have to be willing to acknowledge their ignorance at the very least. We're not going to sit here and debate with you. We're a two-way company, and these are our first principles. That is, of course, from our friends over at Phoenix Ammunition. And if you need a box of nine, give those guys a call. All right, let's keep going here from the New York Times, a former newspaper. Man is charged with threatening to kill Biden. David K. Reeves of North Carolina made the threats over a period of several days ending on February 2nd in calls to the White House, the U.S. Capitol Police, and a Secret Service agent, prosecutors said. You don't want to look at the Twitter profiles of most Hollywood celebrities if this is the standard you're going to raise. Just saying. From Ozzy Pibera. A 27-year-old man who has made several phone calls to the White House in which he threatened to kill President Biden and Secret Service agencies, uh, agents rather, has been arrested in North Carolina on federal charges, officials announced on Thursday. The man, David K. Reeves of Gastonia, who made the threats from late January into early February, declared in one call to the White House, I'm going to chop your heads off, according to a federal criminal complaint unsealed on Thursday in U.S. District Court in the Western District of North Carolina. He also made threats in calls to the U.S. Ca uh, Capitol Police and a Secret Service agent, prosecutor said. I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. Nothing? No? Oh, it's been five years and nothing? Huh. Weird. I wonder how that works.
Mr. Reeves, who was arrested on Friday, remained in custody after a court hearing on Thursday. Kevin A. Tate, a federal public defender, representing Mr. Reeves, said in an email that his client had pleaded not guilty and was receiving mental health evaluations. The maximum penalty for threatening the president is five years in prison and a $250,000 fine. Andrew Murray, U.S. attorney for the district, said in a statement. Hmm. Seems that nobody gave a fuck about that for the last four years. It seems. But, hey, you know what? I'm just a guy who yells into a microphone for a living. So, pff, whatever. I might be wrong. All right, from the Daily Wire, Harris called out after saying, In many ways, we're starting from scratch on the vaccines. From Hank Berrien. On Sunday evening, Axios published a tweet featuring a brief snippet of Vice President Kamala Harris charging, There was no national strategy or plan for vaccinations. In many ways, we're starting from scratch, Axios commented, referring to Saint Anthony Fauci. He's not a doctor anymore. He is a saint who remained in the government as President Biden's chief medical advisor on COVID-19. How do you suck at your job that bad and say, oh yeah, it's government? At a press conference last month, Fauci said, we're certainly not starting from scratch on vaccine distribution. You're coming up on a month in, you're inside the machine. What are you finding is harder about the pandemic? Like, how are you finding the hole is deeper? I mean, the challenge, Mike, is that, you know, what I explained to the mayors, um, there was no stockpile, right? It's in many ways- No stockpile of- Of vaccines, right? So we're looking at this, there was no national strategy or plan for vaccinations. We were leaving it to the states and local leaders to try and figure it out. And so in many ways, we are we're starting from scratch on something that's been raging for almost an entire year. And that's, um, And know, so are you having to adjust your sights now of what's possible given that? And to challenge that everything is possible, we've got to figure out a way. That has to be our standard. Our standard has to be everything is possible, but we're going to have to work like heck to get it done. Which means, again, no patience, no patience for delay, no patience for no, no patience for it can't be done. You know, that's how I feel about it. And maybe. <laughs> Joe, why are you asking why not? Why, why don't we just say why? why? Let's, let's just do this. Hey, and you know what? Let's, while we're doing it, let's nationalize everything and take all the guns away from people. <laughs> what about the Constitution? This woman. First and foremost, the approval did not come until after the dust settled and the mainstream media started calling Joe Biden as the winner. So in two months now, you have to figure out how to get a stockpile while still getting it into the arm of everybody who wants it. I mean, that's before we get into the point where they start sticking into the arm of everybody mandatorily because you got to have your tracking chip on you. But, no. How do you get a stockpile at that point? How do you get a stockpile? And yes, we've got the state rollout there. That's called federalism, because the states know better 
what's going to work for the states, except for in the case of California, because they don't know shit over there, but they know better as to what's going to be effective for their states than you do in Washington, D.C., because what's going to work here is not going to work in North Carolina. What's going to work in Boston is not going to work in Wyoming. What's going to work in Phoenix doesn't work in North Dakota. So let the people who know their people figure this out. And remember the fact that Operation Warp Speed happened under the previous administration. So no, you're not starting from scratch. You're just looking for cheap political points. All right, from the New York Post. California woman, 78, gets COVID-19 vaccine, then suddenly dies of something else. From Elizabeth Elizalde. And this came to me over from Ron Helton in the Discord. If you guys are in the Gilded or the Discord and you put articles, I've got a special channel for articles worth investigating. I will try to find a green check verified news source to cover them, and I will cover them on the show. This is the people's show, so you guys get to shape how I do and the news stories that you find important to you. So if you get into one of those two platforms and send me the article, you could see it right up on the show, just like Ron Helton is doing right now. A 78-year-old California woman died after receiving the COVID-19 vaccine, but her death doesn't appear to be linked to the shot. Health officials said on Saturday, the woman began complaining about discomfort after receiving a dose of the Pfizer vaccine at around noon on Friday, said Dr. Michael Morris, director of the Kaiser Permanente Southern California's vaccination program, in a statement. She lost consciousness as she was being treated by medical personnel. Paramedics began performing CPR on her, but she couldn't be revived, Morris continued. Officials say there were no signs of symptoms. The woman had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine. Her cause of death is still being determined. The woman's family shared that she had a history of heart illness. Despite the tragedy, her husband of 57 years, who also received a COVID shot, says he still plans on getting the second dose in a few weeks, officials said. Health officials say the site will remain open for scheduled vaccinations. And, of course, Ron is out there and absolutely correct. Had this happened prior, or even more, if the Donald had managed to win on uh, November 3rd, you know for full well this would have been accounted as a COVID death, and this would have been added to the ticker that would still be at the bottom of CNN. So yes, the rules do change, and that's part of the reason that I, I always say when they say, well, this pandemic has killed 450,000 people in the U.S. Well, I need a citation on that, because, uh, yeah, if you slam your motorcycle into the back of a semi and cave your head into the door and still get counted as a COVID death, I have fucking questions. I do. I absolutely do. But yeah, now the rules change, and now it gets to be the point that well, now we have to go find whatever we can to try and make sure this isn't linked to COVID because the numbers are looking too bad. And the Washington Examiner is telling people about it. So I, I don't know what killed this woman. I don't. I just know for a fact that had this been parties reversed in the office, this would have been a COVID death. I always say, look at the other party. Switch the parties and see if you still feel the same. From CNBC, Gina Carano gets a new gig with Ben Shapiro's The Daily Wire after Disney firing from Sarah Witten. 
Gina Carano may have been fired from her Star Wars gig by Disney on Wednesday, but she's already got a new project lined up, this time with Ben Shapiro's The Daily Wire. On Friday, the conservative media outlet said it had partnered with the actress to produce and star in an upcoming film exclusively for Daily Wire members. The new project will be produced as part of Daily Wire's existing deal with Dallas Sonier and his production company, Bonfire Legend. They can't cancel us if we don't let them, Carano said in a statement. The former mixed martial artist was fired from her role as Cara Dune, an ex-Imperial shock trooper, on the Disney Plus series The Mandalorian, which is actually probably I'm going to start watching today because I'm on the last episode of High Castle, and I said I was going to do that immediately as soon as I was done with High Castle. So, no spoilers. Following comments she posted on social media that implied conservatives in America were being treated like Jewish people in Nazi Germany. The comment was just the latest social media controversy Carano has faced in recent months. She had previously shared misinformation about mask wearing and voter fraud and made light of people who include their preferred pronouns on social media by adding beep, bop, boop to her Twitter bio. God, I hope these people don't read my Twitter bio. Have you guys seen my Twitter bio? Give that just a second to think here, because I have my pronouns in my Twitter bio, too. There you go, right there. Pronouns, your slash mom. So, I'm canceled at this point. Carano later removed those words after she said she spoke with co-star Pedro Pascal. He helped me understand why people were putting them in their bio, she wrote. I didn't know before, but I do now. I won't be putting them in my bio, but good for all of you who choose to. Yeah, I don't care. And I'm still going to make fun of the people who do it, because... This is the worst part. I don't use pronouns when I talk to you. I use pronouns behind your back. And yes, it might get back to you that I said that, but for the most part, if I'm talking to you... I'm not using pronouns. That's the weirdest thing about that is the fact that the person who's got his or her pronouns in the bio is never receiving the pronouns. Under Unless you're in a conversation of like three or four people, you'll never even know how a person refers to you by the pronouns, but it's a big virtue signal, I guess. So... That's what we see for that. But, yeah, she's going to be joining up with the Daily Wire. We'll see what happens for that. And, you know, I don't feel the need to give money to the Daily Wire to go watch a crappy Christian movie. I've heard actually good things about Run, Hide, Fight, but... Fuck it, I'm not paying them for that. I'm, uh... Ah, uh, what's the word for what I am? For the reason I'm not going to pay for that. Oh, yeah, cheap. I'd rather take that money and put it into something where, you know, we can do and make it a little bit uh, extra good for this show. Put it into a savings account so I can build a new computer because I need one. All right. But we'll see what comes out of that. Maybe I will go watch The Daily Wire because, I mean, she does kind of look good. I have no idea who this woman is. But, of course, I haven't seen The Mandalorian yet either. Maybe we'll start that today. All right, let's keep going. I got another one from NBC, but a different def, uh, division of NBC. 
From NBC News, Postmaster General's new plan could include slower mail and postage hike. This comes as the Postal Service under Louis DeJoy has already seen serious delays in mail delivery over the past several months. Well, it's probably going to get a little bit easier because they're probably going to be getting less mail, and I'll talk a bit about that at the end here. But let's see what's uh, happening here from Jeff Bennett, Julie Serkin, and Dartanuro Clark. U.S. Postmaster General Louis DeJoy is set to implement a new strategic plan that includes higher postage rates and the elimination of first-class tier of mail, two sources familiar with the move, told NBC News on Friday. The plan to eliminate first-class mail, which includes letters, magazines, catalogs, among others, would slow down mail that typically arrives within two days and make it more costly to deliver for both consumers and businesses. The Washington Post first reported the story. The paper reported that all first-class mail would be lumped into the same three- to five-day window as non-local mail. This comes as the Postal Service, under DeJoy, a top donor for former President Donald Trump, has already seen serious delays in mail delivery over the past several months. Now is not the time to aggressively increase prices when so many businesses are struggling and hanging on by a thread, Hamilton Davison, president of the American Catalog Mailers Association, said. Davison said that the higher prices will force more mail out of the system and contribute to a postal system death spiral. It's already there. DeJoy's plan is subject to change before it's formally introduced. One source cautioned. In an email statement, ironically enough, DeJoy noted the plan is not yet final, but declined to provide additional details. I'm the Postmaster General, but I use email to communicate. That seems like a conflict of interest right there. And, I mean, the post office is, it's been hemorrhaging money forever and ever. And it's mostly on pensions. It's not even, for the most part, the money they're hemorrhaging is not mismanagement. It's just pensions that they're hemorrhaging. Because you work for the government, you get that full pension at age, like, 52 or whatever the hell it is. Some ridiculously low number. I mean, you don't have to wait till 63 to retire off of this. Plus, they're paying all kinds of overtime left and right, especially around the holidays. And they took on the Amazon contract because they needed to get that extra boost in business. Well, I looked at this because I went over, I went and saw my dad yesterday, and I had to grab some fuel. And while I was in the uh, gas station, the Amazon truck drove by, sat in and got fuel for himself here. And I remembered the fact that the last three times I ordered from Amazon, it didn't come from USPS. Because the Amazon guys don't have the key to get into the building. They set it up on the front step. Amazon's doing their own delivery at this point. That's taking a big chunk of the revenue out of the U.S. Postal Service. Now, as far as why that's slowing down delivery, I don't know, because that's actually taking some of the stress off of them. Because now they can focus now on just getting their, you know, your catalog and your junk mail back to you. Those pre-approved offers that you get every time you buy a new car. We're getting those over to you. But that's what they're doing. The post office is dead. Now, yes, it should always be there. But they're, I mean, progressives right now are desperately trying to get the post office to happen again. Including, as I mentioned, way back when I was still doing solo videos, we, we've got to have postal banking because, okay, you know, puppy, 
we we've got this situation where people in the inner city they, they can't get a bank account because they they can't go and pay bills they can't do anything online so let's have the post office take their banking which if you've seen the social security administration and you still want to put money into a federal government institution you're out of your fucking mind oh yeah no we'll just borrow that for for now to go pay this bill or this campaign finance or this thing or that thing and oh, we, we promise we'll give it back to you at some point here but they're trying to keep it up here because you know this is it's a guaranteed government job but it's dying DHL is getting better UPS FedEx they're all getting better here they're getting better out to the point that there, I mean, nobody's sending anything with the mail except for the catalog dude that was mentioned in the article. That's the only people, that's the only person who's sending stuff through the mail anymore. Most of us do our bill pay online. My electric bill is paperless. My cell phone bill is paperless. My internet bill is paperless. So those are the three big bills that I pay. My truck payment is paperless. Everything I do is paperless. So yeah, legitimately the only thing I get in the mail at this point is catalogs. Or if I need to, like when I got my real estate uh, um, coursework, that got mailed to me. And it came through the USPS. I'm looking at the box from here. It came from USPS. And, you know, that could have easily been picked up by UPS at this point. So I don't know how much longer the post office is going to last. It sucks for all the people who are going to lose their job over it. But, I mean, at some point you just got to look at this and say... The private sector did it better. All right. Let's keep going. I got one more here, then we'll do something that restores my faith in humanity and head on out of here. From the New York Post, violent BLM protest in New York City leaves two NYPD cops injured, 11 arrested. From Joe Marino. Oh, look. They're arresting people from BLM riots now. Weird. Weird how that happens after Mr. Biden takes office. Police arrested 11 people, one who allegedly bit a cop's leg, when an anti-cop protest turned violent in Manhattan, authorities said Saturday. About 100 people converged in Midtown for Friday night's defund the police demonstration and organized by Black Lives Matter, cops said. Six women, four men, were charged with disorderly conduct, obstructing governmental administration, unlawful assembly, and assault. An NYPD spokesperson said the 10 were given desk appearance tickets and released. The spokeswoman said, Angel Rivera, 19, of Manhattan was arrested for kicking one officer in the foot and biting another officer in his thigh. During the 9.15 p.m. fracas, the spokeswoman said, Rivera was charged with two counts of assault on a police officer, two counts of assault, one count of resisting arrest, obstructing governmental justice, and unlawful possession of a noxious matter. So he had a stink bomb. At least some of those were taken into custody, were accused of attacking Daily News photographer Sam Costanza at 6th Avenue and 54th Street in the mistaken belief that he was a cop, law enforcement sources told The Post. Costanza was surrounded and struck after one of the marchers recognized him from a previous BLM protest outside NYPD's 6th Precinct Station House in Greenwich Village last year, according to the sources. So, yes, once again... Now that it's Biden's America, hey, let's get these people arrested and get them up off the streets. It's weird how that works. 
All right. And that's going to be it for the news here. I've got one, well, this is kind of new still, but this is the thing that restores my uh, faith in humanity for the day. Not necessarily the fact that it happened, but the fact that the people were able to come together and hold the Biden administration to account because this dude that we're about to talk about was about to get a slap on the wrist and ignored after Biden said, hey, man, if if anybody is is mean and nasty to, to a news reporter, any sort of sexual harassment, he's fired on the spot. Well, this guy, like I said, was about to get a slap on the wrist. So let's read here from NPR. White House press aide T.J. Ducklow resigns over threats against a reporter. From H.J. Mai. My, my, you have all that money sitting around and you haven't donated to NPR yet. What are you thinking? NPR needs your money to distribute communist ideals. In low, low tones of voice, won't you give them money more than just your taxes? Because they want to spread their communist ideology to the rest of the people. Won't you help them? Their communist distribution is supported in part by viewers like you. All right, let's see what they have to say here. White House Deputy Press Secretary DJ, uh, TJ rather Ducklow resigned on Saturday after a report emerged that he verbally threatened a reporter who was pursuing a story about his romantic relationship with another reporter. Ducklow, who had been serving a week-long suspension without pay for the incident, posted a statement on Twitter confirming his resignation. No words can express my regret, my embarrassment, and my disgust. For my behavior, I've used languages that no woman should ever have to hear from anyone, especially in a situation where she was just trying to do her job. It was language that was abhorrent, disrespectful, and unacceptable, he said. I'm devastated to have embarrassed and disappointed my White House colleagues and President Biden, and after discussion with the White House communications leadership tonight, I resigned my position and will not be returning from administrative leave. He further said that he is determined to earn back the trust of everyone he has let down because of his intolerable actions. Um, all right. This is what happened here. Uh, Pasaki circled back and said uh, that he, she accepted the resignation. So on Friday, Vanity Fair published a report that described Ducklow lashing out at a political reporter, Tara uh, Palmieri. Ducklow reportedly made derogatory and misogynistic comments towards Palmieri, vowing to destroy her if she published a piece about his romantic relationship with Axios political reporter Alexei McCammond. Pisaki subsequently suspended Ducklow for one week without pay. She later felt uh, had to defend her decision to, uh, after reporters asked whether her suspension of Ducklow fell short of President Biden's message to his political appointees. On Inauguration Day, Doc, uh, Biden told the staffers that he would fire them on the spot if they treat another colleague with disrespect. Ducklow has apologized to Palmieri for his behavior, according to Pasaki. And that's, that's it right there. So, once again, as I mentioned, Pasaki subsequently suspended Ducklow for a week without pay. And Ducklow, who had been serving a week-long suspension without pay for the incident, posted a statement on Twitter confirming his resignation. As soon as this came out, both left and right-wing Twitter started coming out and saying, pointing out the fact that Joe Biden said, Oh, man, if anybody treats anybody with disrespect in my administration, another colleague, or he's fired on the spot. No questions. Nothing. 
just on the spot he's done and then here we sit with this guy who looked at a reporter and said i will destroy you if you release my inappropriate relationship with another reporter and he's sitting back here with a uh, with a suspension joe biden is not doing well with keeping his promises i can tell you that right off the beginning you know that $2,000 check that he said was coming is not coming, and now they're sitting back trying to delay it even further at this point. Um, you know, 100 days to where the mask has turned into another year. He's just not doing well and keeping his promises. But this one small instance shows that the people are pissed with Biden, and they're willing to come out and hold him to account for the things that he said. And the Internet is forever, so they do remember this here. And it restores my faith in humanity that... You know, even some of the people on left-wing Twitter who look back and are completely blinded by the fact that it's Joe Biden and he saved us from the evil orange man are still coming back and saying, hey, what the fuck? You said that somebody would be fired on the spot if they were disrespectful and you just gave them a week's suspension. What the fuck? Let's do something about this. We need more of that. We need more of that from the people in the government. The people to come out and say, what the fuck? And make these people modify their behavior. Remember, these people work for us. Now, do I think this is going to be a trend? No. Because the media, the guy at uh, Vanity Fair is probably getting, he probably got fired for releasing this story and calling the Biden administration into, into question. But the fact that people found out about this and said, what the fuck, let's do something about this. We need more of that. We need more of that from all of our politicians. Liz Cheney, the people of Wyoming didn't want her to vote for the impeachment. And now... They're holding her to account. So is Senate leader, uh, I'm sorry, House leadership, but they're holding her to account too, the people. Ben Sass's district, they're holding him to account. We need to have more people being held to account for what it is that they did. They work for the people, and the people need to remember that. And this kind of shows that, you know, the people remember that Biden works for them, not the other way around. So, like I said, it's not going to be a trend, but... Just the fact that it happened restores my faith in humanity. It restores my faith in the fact that people can come together and get some shit to happen. So, that's going to be it for the day. All right. I've got to get some visual aids set together so we can have a good Red Net show tonight. We're going to be talking a lot of impeachment, so... We're going to see if we can hash out the timeline of everything that happened from beginning to end. Looking forward to seeing uh, you guys for that there. We've got some other stuff on the uh, on the news, too. We'll talk about this Ducklow thing. We'll talk uh, a bit about the vaccine rollout, some of the coronavirus things, the fact that we're going to be holding on for a year. And D.C. is still locked down, which I'm sure that my wonderful co-host, this is going to hate the fact that D.C. is still going to be locked down. So definitely looking forward to seeing you guys tonight. Hopefully we'll see you there. Otherwise, we'll be back here at the same time tomorrow. For more Contemporary, until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Take care.